Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. My name is James Shelby, and I'll be reading from Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, James, for reading our scripture for us today. We appreciate you being a part of worship in that way. Today is the last in a six-week series we've been doing called Soul Reset. We have been using this book by Pastor Junius Dotson, a United Methodist pastor, and this has guided us through this time together. If you have not gotten this book, I would encourage you still to do that. It's an easy read, only a little over 100 pages, wonderful, wonderful book full of wonderful ideas about what it means to reset our souls. This has been an invitation for us to slow down, to get back to the things that are most important in our lives, time with God and being in relationship with other people. And so we've been talking about this holistic salvation of our souls and our minds and our spirits, our bodies, our relationships, the salvation that Jesus offers to every believer. And we believe that resets are necessary. We need to reset ourselves to clear the clutter, to operate the way that we were created and designed by God. And so hopefully as we've gone through this series, these six weeks, you've been finding new and meaningful ways to connect with Jesus. Because when we stay grounded on our faith, no matter what we face in our lives, it doesn't have to overwhelm us. It's all about living from a new perspective, to begin again on this journey of light and free living. So let's think about that phrase, light and free living. What does that mean? That's what I want to explore together today. Because I think it's a journey from where we often begin to get to this abundant life that that God desires for us. And so I've chosen three passages of Scripture to help in guiding us on that path. So I would invite you to listen and receive uh, God's Word today. All of the Scriptures that I'll read, I'll be reading today from the Message Translation, so they may sound a little bit different than what you might have heard before. So this first passage is John 3, 16 and 17. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Now, many of us know verse 16 by heart. It might have been one of the very first scriptures we learned. But we often don't look ahead at the next verse, at verse 17. And here's the crux of what that says. God does not shame us for anything. In fact, Jesus came to set us free from shame and fear and sin and darkness in our lives. But sometimes we're hesitant to really believe that that's true, to really trust that. Brene Brown, who you may be familiar with, she is a researcher at the University of Houston. She's also a well-known author, 
And she's done a lot of research work around this idea of shame. And this is how she defines shame. An intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. Shame is an emotion that affects all of us at some point in our life, and it shapes the way in which we interact with the world, the way that we interact with other people. But she says that depending on the way that we deal with shame, it can shut us down or it can lead us to a new sense of bravery and authenticity in our life. Because when we become consumed with shame, our belief in God can never really evolve into a loving relationship. Because we're accumulating this long list of all of these sins, all of these things that we've done wrong. And so we get to a place where we can't understand how God could possibly forgive us or love us again. And so instead of realizing that we might have done something bad, we begin to believe that we are bad. But when we reject what shame says about us, it's then that we can finally hear what God says about us. And God says that we are forgivable, we are changeable, we're capable, we're moldable, we are lovable. God's response to us is comfort, not shame for being so human that we have problems. In the book Soul Reset, Junius Dotson says that the number one cause of stress is when we live inconsistently with our own self-values. So it might mean that we have to unlearn things that we've been taught. It might mean that we have to unlearn and change patterns of behavior that we've lived with for a long time. Because we can and we will make mistakes. But we must learn from those mistakes and then have this desire to change on the other side of them. Because God takes our shame and redirects it towards future success as we commit to righteousness. As we commit to righteous living. And so we put our confidence in Christ alone, the purpose that Christ alone has for us. And really, as you think about it, there are two responses to shame. We can either isolate or we can move into community. Now, it's always more comfortable to retreat from the world and wallow alone, right? But the New Testament talks about a concept called quanonia. I love that word. It's a Greek word, and it means soul-to-soul fellowship. So when we choose to have relationship within, for example, a small group, that gives us a place to share our feelings, to process the emotions that we have, and to have other people around us who remind us that all will be well. That all will be well. Now, of course, relationships like that require vulnerability, and authenticity and transparency, right? Well, Junius Dotson says that the antidote to fear and shame is vulnerability. Talking about our failures, talking about the rough spots that we all have in our lives. Now, we've become quite good, especially in the church, at hiding our pain. We've become quite good at presenting a version of ourselves that we think people want to see. It's much easier to give the impression that we have it all together because that's how we protect and guard ourselves. But, but the reality is we can't experience true abundant life without being more vulnerable than we prefer to be. 
exposing the very vulnerabilities that we want to hide. Because as we do that, we grow. Growth comes from vulnerability. Going back for a moment to Brene Brown, she's also done research on vulnerability that goes in tandem with shame. In fact, she has a TED Talk called The Power of Vulnerability. I watched it this week. It's only 20 minutes long. It's well worth watching. It's actually one of the top 10 most watched TED Talks ever. And in that talk, she defines vulnerability as uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. That sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? Because we feel exposed and raw when we feel things like grief and shame and fear. Those are very raw things to feel. But she says that vulnerability is also the birthplace of love and of joy and belonging and trust and creativity, all of these great things. And so if we live throughout our life keeping our hearts guarded, we push away the things that we're most desperate for as human beings. And she believes that shame needs three things to grow exponentially. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. So as we commit to maintaining authenticity and connection and compassion in our relationships, shame will begin to die. Because remember, God's objective for us is salvation, not judgment. We create judgment for ourselves when we live apart from Jesus, who is the light. And y'all, the Bible makes it abundantly clear over and over. God uses the most messed up, flawed, not good enough people to do God's work. Because messed up, flawed, not good enough people are all there is to choose from. That's it. And so that brings us to our second passage of Scripture, written by one of the most flawed people in the Bible, King David. Psalm 51, 1 and 2. Generous in love, God, give grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record. Scrub away my guilt. Soak out my sins in your laundry. Again, this is the message translation. But a vivid image, a good image, I think. Because David is writing this as a prayer of confession to God after, among a few things, he's seduced his friend's wife, she's pregnant, then he gets his friend killed, and the story goes on and on and on. And so what David is teaching us here is that confession is good for the soul. Now what comes to mind when you think of the word confession? Probably nothing good to start with. Not one of our strong suits in the Protestant church, for sure. Junius Dotson says that confession is important to our health. It's important to our healing, and it's important for releasing shame and depression and discouragement that we feel. Now, here's what confession is not. Confession is not telling God something that God doesn't already know. It's not complaining. It's not blaming. And it's certainly not confessing someone else's sin for them. Okay? Confession is about us and our own hearts. Confession is a practice of prayer in which we bring to light the things that hide in our hearts. It's inviting God to walk through the very deep places within us, knowing that God's light and healing will enter and bring freedom to us. And David gives us a good example. He doesn't try to pretend that he's innocent here. True confession does not seek amnesty. It is not forgetting what we did and not having guilt and claiming our innocence. Confession seeks pardon. 
It admits that we're wrong, and it seeks forgiveness. It's good for us to be able to say, God, this is where I am. And confess our sin and our struggles and our doubts and our needs because we know that God is actively at work within us. God is moving in and through the messiness of our lives, illuminating for us and prompting our desire to see what's really going on inside us. Because, see, secrets lose their power once they're spoken aloud. And those who keep secrets from God typically keep their distance from God. But those who are honest with God draw near. And so we know that it's safe for us to come clean with God because of grace. Because living truthfully is a mark of that grace in our lives. Confession is a radical reliance on grace because we're proclaiming our trust in God's goodness and faithfulness and mercy. We can't change our past, but we can change our future. We can leave the past where it is. We can make peace with where we are in the present. And then we can walk into the future with hope of redemption and restoration that God brings to us. Confession changes our behavior. And that's God's desire, that we would become more and more like Jesus. And so we come to the third passage of Scripture, which is Jesus himself talking passage that James read for us earlier, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, in this passage, Jesus is out. He's teaching the crowds, people who were trying to find God, but their religion was very burdensome for them. They were weary. Many of them were driven to a place of despair because they were burdened by the Pharisees' interpretation of God's will. And so Jesus is inviting them to instead take his interpretation— And it's symbolized by a yoke, not like the yoke of an egg. That's something different. In Palestine, a yoke for an oxen was made of wood. And so what would happen was the carpenter would come and take the measurements of an ox, and then the the yoke would be tailor-made to fit that ox. Now, in Greek, the word easy means well-fitting. And so Jesus is saying, my yoke fits well. The life he gives us is not meant to be a burden, but our task that he gives us is made to fit our abilities. It's made to fit the gifts that God has given to us. doesn't mean it will always be easy to carry. Jesus never promises us that. But it is laid on us in love. And it becomes light as we carry it in love for God and love for other people. And so Jesus is inviting us to rest and to reset when we're living in a place of quiet desperation, when we feel weary by the trouble of our sin, when we feel burdened by religious obligations that bring us no closer to God, he says, come be my disciple. Now, he doesn't say, come all who are perfect and sinless. That's not what it says. We so fear failure that we create this image of perfection. But friends, that guarantees nothing but exhaustion. 
Jesus knows that we're not perfect, but we will come to a place where we sin less when we really learn what it means to rest in Christ. And of all of the things that we have to earn in this life, God's unending love is not one of them. We already have that. So the question for us becomes, how long do we want to carry our junk around? I love the way one author puts it. I can't, this visual has been in my head all week. How long do you want to schlep around like an ant, walking upright with a loaf of bread on your head? Are we going to wait for the bottom to fall out of our life? To do something different? What does it cost us to keep carrying all this stuff around? Because Jesus says we can unload it all in his lap. And then we can watch him. And we can learn and live the way he does. Because he teaches us absolute trust in God. He teaches us absolute confidence that God will care for us and empower us. Absolute love that will never end. And so in his gentle care and kindness, with these unforced rhythms of grace, Jesus shows us how to live again. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so the ultimate goal of a soul reset is to live our best lives now. To experience that abundant life that Jesus promises. Life that's endless in value and meaning. And so as we make the choice to change the direction of our life from doing our own thing to acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord of our life, the source of our life, it's then that we find life. Jesus should, Jesus does, affect our quality of life in the here and now. So as we come today to the end of this series, I want to invite you to take a moment to reflect on these questions. We'll leave the list up for just a few moments. Feel free to take a photo of this if you want to keep it to reflect on throughout the week. I'd encourage you to do that. How is it with your soul? How is it really with your soul? What's bringing you joy in these days? What burdens you? It might be something that makes you feel shameful, something that you feel like you need to confess. What is God saying to you about making a soul reset in your life? And what do you need to lay down or take up? Soul reset is not something that we only do one time in our lives because the journey to wholeness is never complete the side of heaven. We are works in progress being perfected by God's love day by day. And so the good news for us is that through the noise of our souls, through the noise of our world, we can find peace and comfort knowing that God is in the process of transforming us until our finished product is like Jesus. Thanks be to God for that, because that is good news. As we close today, I'd I'd love for us to pray this prayer together. This might sound familiar to you, because it's a prayer of confession that we often use at communion. But today, as as we pray together, I hope that you will adopt a posture of surrender, a posture of rest, as you Talk to God. Let's pray together. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. 
We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of Forgive us, we pray. We thank you for your love, faithfulness, forgiveness, and grace. Free us today for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.